0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Association for Linen Management podcast. My name is Nicole Morris, and I am the Marketing and Communications Manager for ALM. Just one quick announcement before we get started. The education sessions for the 2019 Clean Show have now been announced. You can find all information about the Clean Show, as well as links to the main Clean Show site, on our website, www.almnet.org cleanshow. Today's guest will be one of the speakers at The Clean Show, Dr. Lynn C. Holster, who has retired from a 20-year CDC career in Atlanta. She was instrumental in helping the Healthcare Laundry Accreditation Council, or HLAC, create their 2011 to 2012 standards. She has been helping the laundry community on questions concerning microbiology and epidemiology, What we're talking about today, ALM has received some concerns from hospitals about warm or damp linen once it has been covered and sent to the hospitals. What if there are spores already on those linens? Are the spores still a danger after the linen dries? Like they take that cover off of the linen and they're ready to use it for their patients. Is there any danger to the patients of any spores that might be on there?
1: Well, there's um, a lot of Sub questions in that large question there, and perhaps maybe it would be best if we, kind of back up a bit, do a, a bit of background information for the benefit of the audience. Okay. Um, when we talk of spores, it uh, first of all it really depends if we are speaking of bacterial spores. Or fungal spores. They're, they have some similarities in terms of their role in maintaining the continuum of the life of the organism. Okay. But they do have a little bit of difference in terms of what environmental factors would either be supportive in their germinating and then returning to a vegetative organism state or whether they remain as a spore in the environment. So there's some, some factors there to begin with. But basically the question is, what is a spore? Think of it as a suspended animation phase of a bacterial or a fungal organism. If the organism senses that the environment is not favorable for their continued growth and reproduction, if it's too cold, too hot, in some cases, some bacteria don't like the presence of oxygen. If there are environmental conditions that are just not favorable for their continued growth, they will initiate a cycle whereabout they convert the vegetative organism into an inert form, the spore. And as such, a spore is very hardy in the environment. It can persist in that inanimate state for days, weeks, months, even years. Wow. But the thing about it is the spore still has the ability to sense when, aha, conditions to reemerge as a vegetative organism are great. So let's start that process, and then the spore will reconvert back to the vegetative organism. So the spores are uh, a great way for uh, an organism to go from point A to point B with very little adverse effect on that particular uh, form of of the cycle of the organism. So they can be transported over long distances. In the case of some fungal spores, uh, they can be airborne. In the case of bacterial spores, it's more like a direct transfer from say one surface or, or medium to another via either directly or through an intermediate like hands or fabrics or whatever but they can persist for a long time. The thing is though by and large of themselves they cannot increase in number. The number increase belongs to the vegetative organism. So if you have spores on fabric but the conditions in which that fabric is stored are not warm and moist and just beautiful conditions to encourage the spores to germinate. Their number will not increase unless the environmental conditions favor the reemergence of the vegetative organism. And it is the vegetative organism that increases in number. So that's the important thing. One thing I would like to say is that we don't really know for all organisms that produce spores what the infectious dose is. In other words, would X number of spores be enough to cause an infection in a susceptible person? Or is it Y? Or is it Z? We don't really know that. Um, and there is no one universal number for all, all genus and species of, of organisms that produce spores. So right there, we can't really give you a pat number that says if you're if you have this number of spores uh, on say a, a garment you're in trouble and if you have less than that number you're okay so that information just does not exist at this point the other thing is that there is a concept that we use a lot in infection control called the chain of infection and this is um, a concept that describes what is necessary to be in place for a successful transmission of infection to occur. And among those are five or six, what we call links in the chain. And it can vary depending on how you perceive what is important in, in this process. But mainly, we look at the presence of a microorganism, in this case, say a pathogen, that there is sufficient number of that microorganism, in other words, the infectious dose, you need a certain number with which to be able to initiate an infection. You need a susceptible host. This in, in the laundry industry is a very, very important thing to consider. The fourth is you need a mode of transmission. In other words, how does the organism go from point A to point B? And then fifth, you need a portal of entry, which is basically a fancy way of saying, how does that pathogen get into the body to start causing disease? And that will vary depending on what organisms you're talking about and what disease or infection you're talking about. When I say there's sometimes a sixth link, some individuals count also a reservoir of microorganisms is is certainly a valid point um, but basically it's in, it's understood within uh items number 1 and 2 the pathogen and the infectious dose so you've got you've got essentially a concept of how infection occurs and as i said we we don't know what the infectious dose will be for spores because there, a lot, there are several bacterial genuses or geni. Among fungi, there are also several genus or genii that uh, produce spores. Maybe it takes 10 spores of my variety, but uh, another one says, well, unfortunately, it takes 20 of mine. And so we don't have a single one number. So here's the thing. Uh, spores are present in our environment constantly, even the very, very clean environment. We'll have some bacterial or fungal spores floating around in the air or present on surfaces. And for the healthy person, this is not a problem. Right. Uh, we, we have a sufficiently robust immune system that if we somehow inhale or ingest a spore from some of these, these uh, bacteria or fungi, we, we can deal with them and they don't cause disease. In other words, we're not susceptible to them. But there are some people in our healthcare population, particularly those who are very immunosuppressed, medically compromised, that don't have that luxury. And so for those individuals, we do try to give them as clean an environment as possible during their their time in the hospital for their care. And that would also imply that perhaps we need to look at keeping the numbers of spores to a minimum or eliminate them altogether if we can. And that latter statement really applies as well to the surgical textiles where they have to be sterile before they're used. Right. So getting back to the question, okay, so if we have some spores on textiles and they were they were there floating around in the environment at the laundry, so the bundle is, we'll say, taken out of the ironers or the dryers and they're still a little damp. They feel maybe not wet, but kind of cool moist to the touch and then they're bundled up right the problem is that between the time of that bundling and the time the bundle is opened and and the sheets and etc are put into use there is going to be a fluctuation of environmental factors related to the ambient environment in the holding area in the laundry And then it's transferred into the cart which goes on the trucks then that is over time however long it takes to deliver to to the hospital client then it is brought out on the loading dock and put into the uh, storage area there in the hospital so there's there are several environments that this bundle is being subjected to you can go from a fairly warm humid atmosphere in the laundry facility to maybe uh and let's say if it's if it's transported today which is um, towards the end of february it's going to be kind of cold out there right. so it's cold maybe a little humid if you've got some uh, snow or rain or uh, whatever your weather has been So you've gone from warm and moist to cold and moist and then you go back up to warm and maybe a little drier than the the laundry facility and so you go from this fluctuating of environmental situations as it were and what that tends to do is it tends to help either raise or lower the relative humidity in that bundle So if you have warm temperatures and rare, fairly moist environments, that may be enough to trigger the spores to say, okay, it's time to come out now. And and they might germinate. And if if there are some features of that bundle of textiles that, that the emerging organisms can use as a food source, then they will definitely increase in number. So if those conditions are not there, the ones that would be favoring the germination of the spores, you might end up with a fairly low number of spore forms on that textile. And therefore, you have less of a chance or less of a risk that this would pose an immediate problem to your patients. The other situation is if the spores do germinate and increase in number. Again, it depends how long they're in the favorable environment and how long they have access to a, say, a food source would be the uh, determinants of how much of an increase will be there on the fabric. Now, you won't see any of this because they're all microscopic. Right. But what, what is really perhaps a a good example of of this is uh when we're dealing with fungal spores. Now when I did a, a review article for both the healthcare and the laundry industries on Issues involving infection control for healthcare textiles. So, I did research to try and find out what is an environmental factor that favors the emergence and growth of fungal pathogens. And it turns out that with fungal spores, fungi need moisture, a warm temperature, uh, not hot, but a warm temperature. And most definitely a source of nutrition, which for them is going to be a carbon-based source of, of food. And in fabrics, especially cotton, that is a perfect food source because it's carbon and cellulose based. And the fungi will just latch onto that and go to town, and you will get a significant increase in the number of fungal organisms on, let's say, a cotton blend or a 100 percent cotton uh, fabric item maybe a little bit on the polyester and and the um man-made fibers but if there's any any cellulose present in the in the fabric they will definitely multiply if the temperature and humidity conditions are right and so what happens with those is they will they will rapidly increase in number and then, if those textiles are used uh, especially in areas where the population is very immune suppressed and very medically compromised, if there is a dermatological pathway for infection to to start, that is one way that fungal spores germinating to fungal pathogens uh can pose a very serious health outcome for the severely immune suppressed patients sometimes when the the sheets and other fabrics if they have these high numbers of fungal pathogens on them are agitated such as when they are put on the bed or when they are gathered up and so forth those fungal spores that are remaining on those sheets uh, can be released into the air and then perhaps set up a mode of transmission through a respiratory way of acquiring the, the pathogen. And so that you have both dermatological and airborne pathways of acquiring these pathogens. And if you are susceptible to them, then an infection most likely will occur. So with bacterial spores, a little bit different because you may have bacterial spores on the fabric and let's say, for example, with Clostridium bacterial mm-hmm. spores, uh, everybody is is very much aware of the the role that Clostridium difficile is now playing in healthcare,
0: commonly known as C. Diff, right?
1: C. Diff. That, right. That's what everybody is like. I know that. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's good. But anyway, there the the spores have to be ingested. So you have to basically take, a, say, a, a contaminated surface, say like a bed rail that may have clostridium spores on them, and then you basically put the fingers or whatever you touched with uh, into your mouth, and once the spores are ingested, they're now down into the gastrointestinal tract of the body. There's no oxygen down there, and oh boy, now we can grow out. And next thing you know, those spores will emerge as vegetative C. diff bacteria. And then that starts the cycle of a C. diff infection, or as we in healthcare refer to it as CDI. With bacterial spores from the bacillus genus of bacteria, Bacillus bacteria are aerobic. They don't mind living in an environment with oxygen. With those, they will increase in number. And more than likely, if they can gain entry to the bloodstream, they're very commonly associated with bloodstream infections. So that's that's kind of the whole picture in a nutshell. But as, as I think you, you probably have gathered, it's It's a little more complicated than simply you have this bacteria or that fungi. X number of spores is enough to cause the infection. And should we be looking for spores on fabric? And the fact of the matter is you can do microbial assessment of fabric, but microbial assessment of fabric is not a real-time measurement. And by that, what I mean is you can take a sample of, say, the surface of a textile, but it takes anywhere from, I'd say, one to three days before you get the results. And the question becomes, what has happened to that fabric that you sampled? Did it stay in the laundry facility, kind of in a holding pattern, or did the laundry send it out to the client, the customer? And if it's at the customer's location, is their par level running on a fairly tight schedule so that what comes in immediately gets put to use? Or do they hold it in storage for a day or two? So there are a lot of factors there. But the point I'm making is you may not get the answer before those textiles are put into use. So you can kind of see the the dilemma here. If If the textiles were say, heavily contaminated with bacterial spores, which when they're sampled will in the laboratory grow up to be microorganisms, vegetative organisms. Let's say if you found out that there were 200 bacterial organisms or colonies per square area on that fabric, but you're looking for something that's going to be less contaminated, if that that lot of t- textiles has already been released to the client and has been put into use, you can't really recall that right? and, and start over. So therein is the dilemma with uh, spores and vegetative organisms and microbial testing on that.
0: So what I feel like the general point is, is that there's going to be spores, whether, whether bacterial or fungal, on linens, no matter what, because they're everywhere. They can't be entirely eliminated. But it's just whether or not it's gotten to a tipping point of the quantity about whether or not it enters a danger zone for immunosuppressed patients.
1: In concept, that, that is the case. But as I as I say, we don't know what that infectious dose number is. Right, right. In, in my mind, what I I'd like to tell people is... You know, we know that there are bacterial and fungal spores in the air and on surfaces. So what does that tell us? Okay, that tells us that if we can take measures to keep our our plant facility as clean as possible, That will help a great deal, and the laundry industry is certainly well aware of this, and I'm absolutely certain taking steps to try and minimize this, but the control of lint and the control of dust uh, on surfaces, on equipment, is especially important to try and control the presence and the number of spores in the environment. So this is something that is a must-do, and everybody knows it. That's, it's very simple to do, but yes, it takes time and effort to, to do it properly. The good news in, in taking control of lint and dust by the throat and, and getting at it is that uh, you will also improve your facility's safety record from a fire prevention point of view because fire issues involve dust and and lint and so very definitely controlling those two entities will hopefully a fire inspector might say okay this is a good plant we may reduce your premiums of the insurance related to fire hazards. The other thing is, as I've also told folks, when you do a HACCP inspection, which is a hazard analysis and critical control point review, basically if the surfaces in your plant, and these are these are primarily the surfaces, say, well, inside the equipment, but also outside the equipment, if those surfaces are are clean, and again, this gets back to control of dust, lint, and soil, if they're if they're clean, then that, too, will help minimize the number of spores in the environment. And then the other thing is, too, that when you're handling the textiles, make sure your hands are clean. Or, or if you're wearing gloves on the clean side, they're clean as well. Cleanliness is probably the most important thing to do and, and also is probably the least expensive to do. Beyond that, the only other thing to think about is what are the sources of ventilation in the plant in terms of are you getting a lot of unfiltered outdoor outside air coming into your plant and if so is it finding its way to the clean side of the operation that's another way that you can increase the number of both bacterial and fungal spores coming into your environment and once it's in the airspace especially where all all the workforce is there's there's no real controlling the number at that point so what you do is you you think about how the airflow is managed in your plant and by that, I mean on the soil side, it's supposedly going to be under more of a negative pressure so that air flows from the clean side to the soil side. So if you, if you have open cargo bay doors where the delivery trucks and the comings and goings of carts with fabric are constantly kept open, you need to make sure that the outside air is, is limited only to the negative side of the plant. And then on the clean side, that's where you're going to have some of your dryers. The other thing that we have noted is that in some instances, there may or may not be filtration on the incoming air from the outside that is supporting the dryer function. And so that may be another way you can eliminate the post laundering contamination of textiles with spores. So... You start looking at your HACCP assessment of where can spores come into our environment here in the plant, and you start thinking, okay, I think I've got this one as a problem and this one as a problem. How can I control the presence of spores here and then coming into the clean side? And that's that's basically what you what you have to do to uh, try and keep spores in the, on the clean side to a minimum.
0: So obviously the laundries can control the air quality and everything within their facilities through all the various means that you've mentioned. But when it gets into transporting them into the trucks and then the trucks going over the road into the hospital facility or healthcare facility, and then there's no guarantee, you would have to assume that the air would be good quality at the hospital, but the laundries can't guarantee that because it's not their facility. So if there has to be a way for them to err on the side of caution, then is the practice of them covering those linens, even when they're still a little bit damp and warm, is that still a better way to go than to maybe leave them uncovered? And because then they would pick up more spores, presumably, by traveling through other air quality Areas, So having them covered, even if there are just those few spores that aren't filtered out by their processes in the plant, that that's going to be less than what it would do just to be out in the open air.
1: Correct? Well, um, I think that's an excellent point. And uh, that, that does speak to the notion that there's also an opportunity to pick up spores from the environment during transport. I think you have um, a greater risk of acquiring more spores if you have uh, bundles of textiles that are in the cart, but they're not wrapped up, say, with either an outside sheet or, in this case, maybe a, a plastic wrap or something. There's some benefit to that, meaning that if the cart itself is somewhat protected from the outside airspace per se, that does allow the bundle to breathe somewhat, and that the influences of temperature and humidity, the changes in those two factors may be less compared to if the bundle is tightly wrapped up in plastic and there's almost like no ability for that bundle to breathe, as it were. But I think if there are measures taken to keep the bundles covered in some fashion during transit, and then they're removed from, let's say, if it's a, if there's a, a bundle in plastic, maybe the cart, if the bottoms have holes for drainage or, or things of that nature, make sure there's barrier between those holes and the healthcare textiles that will be used for the patient. Right. That will help for sure. Again, once they're in the storage environment in the hospital, the important thing is to make sure that those environments are kept clean and ideally they're under positive pressure and the temperature and humidity levels are what used to be the American Institute of Architects guidelines for design and the building of hospitals and healthcare facilities are now the Facility Guidelines Institute document of basically the same content. They have recommended ranges of temperatures and humidity for those storage areas. So the hospital staff at that point will have to take the responsibility of keeping those textile bundles in an environment that does not really encourage the germination of spores. And again, usually it will be keep the humidity less than 60% and the ambient temperature will be in the upper 60s or, or low 70s. And again, both of those would probably not really encourage widespread germination of spores. You may get some, some germination, but not the whole population coming up. Right, right. But maybe in low numbers. Yeah. Is
0: there anything that we didn't touch on that you think we should?
1: You know, at this point, I think we've hit kind of the high points. The, the fact is that uh, we are still always investigating and, and trying to, you know, think through possible solutions and so forth. The other thing that, again, may be helpful for folks who have access to the medical literature is to take a look at the review article I wrote, because there it kind of tells you that in terms of the last four or five decades, we've had so few outbreaks of infectious diseases attributed to clean textiles. But some of those outbreaks that have occurred did involve bacterial organisms that were spore-forming organisms. So it does speak to the issue that, yes, we have some concern about spores, but for the vast majority of hospitalized patients, they pose, especially bacterial spores, they pose less of a threat compared to what might happen to patients that are more medically compromised. So what we have to keep in mind is that, by and large, what we do for healthcare textiles in terms of laundering them, drying them, and transporting them has produced a relatively safe product for the vast majority of patients. But for certain subsets of patients, like perhaps the the neonates, certainly the, the bone marrow transplant patients and patients for whom part of their treatment is to first wipe out their immune system in order to accept a stem cell transplant or other treatment that might be interfered with if it is living material from a host. So those patients obviously have little or no defenses against environmental organisms. And for those, we have to take extra measures. And I would say if you absolutely wanted to, eliminate spores from textiles, then the only thing you can do is to sterilize those textiles. And that is what we do for surgical textiles, because the, the standard of care for surgical textile is that it must be sterile before it is put into use in the operating room. Right. When it comes to infection prevention, if the standard says you should do X, that's perceived by all as okay, this is the sort of the absolute minimum that you should do. You can always do more. You can always do X plus Y and take it to a greater level, but you can't back off of that standard and do less. Right. That's kind of where we're at.
0: Well, thank you so much for all of your time. And I know that we are going to be seeing you at the Clean Show, correct? You're doing a session?
1: I am doing a session. Hopefully my co-presenter will be there as well. He says he's never been to The Clean Show. And I said, oh, you're going to enjoy this one.
0: (laughs) And what is the topic that you'll be speaking on?
1: Well, we are working up a presentation that will take where we describe some of these pitfalls where fungal contamination can get out of hand and why it occurs, where it occurs, and things like that. What we're hoping to do is walk through some possible solutions for these problems so that we can better assist the laundry managers in helping their plants stay as clean, appropriate as possible. So we're taking it to the next level, which is, okay... We've discussed the problem, now what do you do about it? Okay,
0: so is that the Preventing Microbial Growth and Infection in Laundry Facilities? That's it. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so that will be Thursday, June 20th, from nine
1: until 10. I've always learned so much at The Clean Show, which is why I told Linda, I'm going to The Clean Show. Oh, good, good. Uh